All right, uh, we're ready to go. Shalom, everyone, and uh, if you were in the synagogue like most of us for the last two days, then uh, uh, Shana Tova to you. I pray that you have been written for a good year, and we still have seven days from now until the beginning of Yom Kippur. Uh, when that uh, judgment is sealed, but even then you still have even longer all the way through Sukkot. It's not finally sealed, completely and finally sealed until, like, uh, I believe, Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day assembly right after Sukkot. So we still have a, a very, very kind of a hectic, if you're Jewish, it's kind of a hectic time this time of the year. There are two times of the year like this, one uh, Passover and Shavuot, and the other time Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And they're about six months apart, and uh, but it's always a very, very hectic time. Anyway, so Rosh Hashanah just ended, and uh, we want to study with Rabbi Ashlag for a little while. Uh, we're going to try to pick up, go right ahead and pick up, and thank you for allowing me to start uh, 30 minutes late here because of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, next week, even though it will be already during Sukkot, uh, somebody didn't flip my calendar, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. It will already be during Sukkot. Uh, in fact, no, let me check and see, make sure that's correct. No, next week is uh, Yom Kippur will be on uh, already started on Wednesday night, so we won't meet next Wednesday. We will meet. Uh, we'll meet on the fifteenth, uh, which will be into Sukkot. But surely I can take one hour. Maybe I will just uh, even take the laptop if I can uh, get it figured out and. Uh, and broadcast the class to you from uh, the sukkah. That that might be fun, but we might have to put up with lots of noises from from other things. So I don't know if I will do it or not, but we'll see. Anyway, with God's help, that's that's the uh, that's the schedule for next week and the week after that. Anyway, let's go immediately to Rabbi Yehuda Levashlag, our subject that we have been talking about for so long here. We have been, he is known as the Baal HaSulam, the master of the ladder, and we have been uh, hopefully climbing the rungs of his ladder on how to come close to Hashem, how to cleave to him, how to be glued to him, and uh, basically between me and you, it's uh, basically we're just simply changing the way that we think, and once we change the way we think, then we change the way that we speak, and we change the way that we act. So we are still in his introduction, just the introduction to the study of the Ten Sfirot, and we already concluded his introduction to the Holy Zohar. Now, to just, uh, not, not a complete review, but just to uh, give us the ground on where we were studying last together in his, uh, in his Sefer, The Shadow of the Ladder, uh, the introduction to the study of the Ten Sfirot. We're in, uh, going back to paragraph, if you have the book, uh, paragraph number 78, and uh, he was just talking about what it means, what, what is this, uh, we were going over this whole thing from the Talmud, uh, where the rabbis blessed another rabbi about seeing his world in this world, meaning seeing, seeing his own world to come, seeing the the uh, the reward, not realizing them now, but being aware of it, seeing it in this world, within his own lifetime. And he said, we have to understand what that seeing of the world to come within one's own lifetime, what does that really consist of? And Rabbi Ashlag gave us this answer. He says, I say to you that seeing comes about through a person's eyes being opened in the Holy Torah. 
And then he quotes as it's written from Psalm 119 and verse 18 where it says, Golly nigh, open my eyes that I may behold the wonders in your Torah. And he says, it is concerning this. You remember how this whole conversation that he's talking to us about, this whole teaching session, comes about because of the rabbis talking about the oath that is administered to a soul before Hashem puts it into a body. And he says, even if the whole world, uh, that oath is, even if the whole world were to say to you that you are a tzaddik, a perfectly righteous person, and tzaddik, that's, that's, even saying that is a very, very poor translation into English of everything that the concept of a tzaddik means. But he says, even if the whole world, this is the oath, were to say to you that you are a tzaddik, you must see yourself in your own eyes as a rasha. A rasha is an evildoer. Are, uh, are not, that can be, that's the far end of a rasha. But a rasha is also someone who is just still liable to sin, still liable to, to uh, stumble in this area. And he says, so you have to see yourself in your own eyes as a rasha. Specifically, he says, the text says, and now look, and this is, this is all very, very much a, a great lesson to us, not only learning how to become what it means to be a tzaddik, and what that means in our life, and uh, how to come close to Hashem. But it also is a great lesson to us in the precision of the rabbi's language, why they used exactly the words that they used. And this is one of those points where he says, specifically, precisely, the text says, in your own eyes. And what does that mean? He says, as long as your eyes, your own eyes, have not been opened in the Torah, as long as that has not happened, then you must regard yourself as one who could still sin. And do not mislead yourself, he said, by the fact that the world generally sees you or generally you are known in the world as a tzaddik. Now, he says, we can also see why the rabbis, in the precision of language that they have, placed the blessing of seeing. It all has to do with seeing, and he's, he's connecting that seeing to this prayer of open my eyes in your Torah, that, uh, that I may behold the wonders of your Torah. He said, so now we can see why the rabbis placed the blessing of seeing one's world, meaning their world to come, in one's lifetime first in the entire string of blessings that they gave. As prior to this, prior to the opening of one's eyes in the Torah, a person is not yet even a benoni, uh, an, an in-between person, an incomplete tzaddik. Prior to this, okay? Now, so that kind of picks us up and covers in very, very short what we looked at together last week. Let's see. <laughs> Obviously, more questions. Always, isn't it? <laughs> With Rabbi Ashlag. But it's in the answering of the questions that we actually come to the real meat of what he is trying to get across to us. So he says, so the first question, he says, but if a person truly knows for himself or for herself, that he or she observes the whole Torah, and the whole world agrees with him or her on this, why is this not considered sufficient? Question number one. Number two, why is he or she still sworn, meaning the, the oath that is given to the soul, to regard himself or herself as one who could still sin, as a rasha? Next question, number three, is it because, he says, he or she still lacks this wonderful level of opening 
one's of one's eyes in Torah, of seeing one's world within one's lifetime, that the person must still regard himself or herself as having the possibility of coming to sin. And he says, this is all, Rabbi Ashkenaz says straight, this is all very astonishing, he says to me. So he says, we have to, we have to figure this out, let's, and let's try to do it. Now, the next thing he mentions is he says, we have already clarified, he says, the four ways, and this is in a lesson that we did quite some time ago uh, on this, but he says, we've clarified, but it's still so important that we have to go over it again and again because it's a, one of the keys much as the will to receive for yourself alone is one of the keys of understanding anything in Kabbalah, understanding the four levels or the four different ways of how we experience God's providence also is an absolute must in, before we can understand anything about, uh, about, about the, the great things that we learn in Kabbalah. It's, this is just, these are basic things to it that we must not leave out, which is why Rabbi Ashlag includes them in his introduction. They are the key things, okay? All right. So he says, we have already clarified the four ways through which human beings perceive God's providence, which are the two levels of concealment of God's face and the two levels of revelation of God's face. He says, we have explained that there is a profound intention behind the concealment of God's face Namely, oh, let's stop right there. Let's 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 go through these couple of slides and talk about and, and just talk about for a few minutes just to remind ourselves these four levels, these four different stages of of, uh, of how we experience God's providence. You remember the first and the second stages, as as he talks about here on this slide, had to do with the concealment of God's face. Number one, concealment within concealment. And where he says, man does not connect his pain and suffering with God's involvement at all. A concealment within concealment or double concealment is the vast majority of people in the world who don't connect anything uh, with, with God at all. And this is the stage, he says, of arrogant acts or deliberate sins. Many of these people, if they even do believe in Hashem or they do believe in God, or at least some kind of a God, they think he is an absentee landlord. He set everything in motion, and then he walked off, and he'll come back. Maybe he'll come back in a later stage, or maybe he comes back over a few thousand years and checks on it, you know, things like this. This is double concealment, where there is no connection uh, with Hashem at all. Then that moves to a stage of single concealment, where he says man perceives God's back. And you remember the illustration that he gave to us, where it's like you see your friend... And maybe it's your friend, maybe it's not. But it looks like your friend from a distance, but all you can see is his back, so you can't be sure. And in that, in that stage of, of people, they, they see things happen or think they personally experience things in their life. And they think, well, maybe that's, you know, uh, this is so popular saying among so many people, or that's a God thing, you know, it's just a God thing. Well, the truth be known, everything, absolutely everything, no matter what it is, it's all a God thing. Absolutely. But that is a stage of single concealment where we, we see sometimes we, can, we, we recognize that he's operating. Uh, or, or, we, or we look and we, we can see his back, but we're not sure it's him because we can't see his face. That's the idea. And in that stage, a man ascribes his pain and suffering often to punishment. But we're mad at God. We also project our anger back onto God. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? How can you let such a thing happen? How can that, you know, on and on and on. And this is called the stage of inadvertent errors. 
then here comes the opening of one's eyes in the Torah. And the third stage is the revelation goes from the concealment of God's face to the revelation of God's face. The first one, the first part of that third stage, uh, or the, uh, yes, that's correct. The first part of this third stage is what's called a transformation from the fear of sin. Not the fear of punishment of sin, but from the real fear of sin. Because man now, he says, has a clear perception of God's involvement with him on the level of cause and effect. In other words, if I think an evil thought, if I say an evil word, if I do an evil deed, it has an effect. An effect, as the great Ramchal taught us in Derek Hashem, you remember the very beginning, everything we think, say, and do, it either adds to the side of holiness, not just in this universe, but in all the universes above us, or it adds to the side of uncleanness, if, it, if it's not good, okay? in this universe and all the universes above us, and that has an effect. Something will happen either way, either for good or for what we, can, what we perceive as bad. At that stage, the stage of transformation from the fear of sin, though, Hashem himself testifies that this person will not re return to his foolish ways. He tells us it's manifest by the opening of his eyes in Torah. In this stage, transformation from the fear of sin is known as someone who is an incomplete tzaddik, or a benoni, or an in-between person. And at that stage, that revelation of God's face from the fear of sin, then the stage of arrogant acts, actually, this is unbelievable. It acts, This stage of understanding God's providence, and you remember Rabbi Oshlag tells us very, very clearly, our misunderstanding of God's providence is absolutely the problem with everything in the sense of all the suffering that we go through. We suffer because we don't, our level of understanding of his involvement with us is not on a high enough level. So we perceive things as bad. We perceive things as, uh, as that he's allowing bad things to happen to us. Uh, or maybe it's him, or maybe it's this, this uh, big angel that runs around in the universe, you know, that's, uh, that uh, some people think is uh, almost, almost as powerful as Hashem himself. What, a, what an unbelievable idea. But... Uh, we don't perceive that everything is coming from him and that it's all meant for the good. So, but this is unbelievable because this, this stage has the power to go back and actually rectify the arrogant, willful sins that we did in the state of double concealment. And he says the stage of arrogant acts are transformed into inadvertent errors. It's considered as mistakes. But those mistakes, all those mistakes are not yet healed, okay? And then that comes to the last, the final stage of how, the fourth stage of how we experience God's providence in, in the revelation of his face, and that's, that's a transformation of ourselves, which means a complete changing, by the way, from the level of the love of Hashem. Finally, we come to love him. Two levels there. You remember there's a conditional level of loving Hashem. There's an unconditional level. But basically... This is the idea here, where a man sees and knows that Hashem, God, is good, and he does good as befits his name. He is, and this is a big one, this is one that many, many people just cannot get over. They just, uh, for some reason, they trip in this spot, because he is good to the evildoer equally as to the good person. And that man justifies now. He is able to justify God's actions in the world. And he knows that everyone, all, are destined 
This is what Hashem wants, and this is this is what He will bring it to. Are destined to come to love God. A person on this level that is fulfilling this six hundred and thirteenth commandment, the final one, he is a, he is considered a complete tzaddik, a tzaddik gamul. All of his sins, whether willful or accidental, not only are they not only are they forgiven. They are actually transformed into virtues, which Rabbi Ashlag will eventually really explain to us. Okay, so let me go back and, and read this again, what he says, what he says from here. So these are the four ways to which human beings perceive God's providence. The two levels of concealment of God's face, the two levels of revelation of God's face. And he says, and we have explained that there is a profound intention behind the concealment of God's face. Namely, and it's, it's in that area when God's face is concealed from us, whether in double or single concealment, that it gives people an opportunity to make the effort of serving Hashem through Torah and mitzvot from their own free choice. Hashem doesn't twist their arm. He doesn't force them. It, it's as the Holy Zohar says, the 613 commandments are 613 pieces of advice. And he doesn't force us to follow his advice. Uh, so we, we must make the decision. This, and, it's, and this is during the area of concealment. We must make the decision to serve him through his Torah and the mitzvot of free choice. Then, when that happens, Rabbi Ashlag says, Hashem experiences great satisfaction. He is very pleased. He becomes very, very pleased from their work in Torah and mitzvot. He even receives greater satisfaction than he receives from the angels above who have no choice in what they do but are compelled in their service. And he says there are other important reasons for this concealment of God's face. In other words, that's not the only reason. It really is to give us free choice. You see what Rabbi Ashlag is talking about here? Without this is This is one of the main reasons that all of the great rabbis explain, whether whether they are explaining from a Kabbalistic understanding or, or any other level of uh, Torah interpretation in Judaism, they are all telling us that the reason Hashem is so concealed in this world is in order to give us both free will and free choice. Because if we actually saw, if we could actually see Hashem, the presence of Hashem behind absolutely everything, and in everything that's, that's all around us, it would take away from us. No one would ever even consider not to follow his advice. In other words, it would completely take away from us our free will. It would completely take away from us our free choice. Now, this idea of the revelation of God's face, here's a key thing here. This idea of coming to that level of the revelation of God's face, either through the fear of sin or through hopefully with God's help through the love of Hashem, the love of God, that, Rabbi Ashlag is saying, that actually takes our free choice and our free will, in a sense, in the area of the commandments, away from us. Because our eyes are open. Hashem is no longer concealed from us in this world. We understand exactly what He is doing. We, we can see it always, that it's absolutely correct. And it, in a sense, that's a scary thing. Because uh, to come to that level of consciousness. By the way, with God's help, since we just finished 
just completed Rosh Hashanah and began this new year that we have now. Uh, you know, every Rosh Hashanah, and it's, it's quite interesting, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. And Rosh Hashanah, to be honest with you, one level of understanding it has very much to do with our heads, with your head and my head. Because every Rosh Hashanah, Hashem imparts or emanates to the world, meaning to me and to you, and to everything that's in it, a new level of consciousness, a new level of understanding things. And so, with God's, with His help, I hope all of us are able to, to catch the new level of consciousness that has descended to the world. And uh, anyway, I didn't, didn't mean to get off in that, it just hit me. <laughs> Okay, uh, so let's, let, let me get back to Rabbi Ashlag here and let, let him do the talking. Uh, but I just wanted us to, to see that uh, this, this, this does, because he's going to continue to mention free choice and free will existing during the stages of concealment. And the reason it doesn't ex- really exist, in the, not, at least not in the same way, uh, in the stage of the revelation of God's face, is because we become so entirely aware of God's involvement in this world and just exactly how close he actually is and it makes a difference okay so he says despite the great value that is attached to this stage of concealment of God's face it is still not considered to be uh, a complete stage even though it has tremendous value this is where we really can please Hashem in that stage of concealment because we, we're operating out of free choice we can, we can still not do the commandment and because we choose to do them we please Him very much but it's, so it, but it's not considered to be a complete stage it's only a transitory stage uh, something that's in transition it is the stage he says from which one can become worthy of all the desired wholeness in other words, meaning to be completely attached to God so close uh, that uh, there's no way to describe it. All the reward, he says, that is laid up for us only comes about as a result of our striving in the Torah and the mitzvot during the time of the concealment of God's face. At the time when a person exercises conscious choice in the practice of Torah and mitzvot, what happens? He says it always happens. He or she experiences considerable suffering as a part of his or her experience of intensifying one's faith, coming closer to Hashem and doing God's will. And all the reward from its vote, he says, is given in proportion to how hard it is, to the suffering that, that, that goes with it, that the person experiences in working with them. According to the words of Rabbi Ben-Haha, the reward is according to the suffering. Now, a lot of people, if they found this out, they may never ever come to walk the path of the Torah. Honestly. And that ha- all has to do with the will to receive for ourselves alone. This will that we have that totally separates us from Hashem. You know, I listen to uh, and read and, st- and I don't really study them, but I, I d- to stay aware of them. Uh, a lot of teachers, a lot of uh, not Jewish teachers, uh, uh, Christian teachers, uh, even even the Muslims are, are the same way to some extent. In fact, uh, almost all the other religions are some some way to some extent this way. That uh, they're constantly focused on uh, what 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 do we get out of it? 
what's in it for us? If there's nothing in it for us, you know, why are we even doing it? And this, this is why the path of the Torah, not so many people walk it. And, uh, but if, they, if we just could get across to them uh, what it means, and if we could just get across to, to people, and I, and I actually think the great movement that's going on right now, especially on the level of Kabbalah that's going on among uh, non-Jewish peoples of the world, is an unbelievable miracle and work of Hashem. That it's catching people, uh, people who would never come and sit in a class like we are doing here. Uh, you know, they don't want to be connected to the Torah. But do you know if they can, if they can get a handle on their, on their, uh, on their self, if they can get a handle on their egos, if they can get a handle on their self-centeredness and move away from it in some way, somehow, they can still come close to Hashem. Absolutely. And uh, so I see uh, so many different uh, works being done by great rabbis today who, who actually are presenting the material uh, kind of separate from the commandments, totally separate from the mitzvot, uh, really totally separate from Torah and Torah learning. Uh, they're just presenting the great Rabbi Ashlag's uh, main points on what is it that separates us from Hashem. And people the, uh, all over the world are beginning to to study it and are beginning to catch it and be, believe it or not they're beginning to change to me this is this is such a this is this is one of those levels of consciousness that came down to us quite a few Rosh Hashanah ago uh, because this has been going on for uh, about uh, between 15 and 20 years it builds every day, but it's really, really beginning to catch on more and more and more with so many people. And so I tell people, you know, uh, uh, sometimes, it, it, and unfortunately today, you know, the word Kabbalah is uh, identified with uh, people like Madonna. And uh, I say, listen, you know, I, I, uh, what's the problem? <laughs> if if Madonna or anybody else it's very unlikely that Madonna is going to come and sit in a Torah class that I teach or any other sages Torah class or rabbis Torah class or Torah teachers Torah class no matter what but uh, if if her study little study of the Kabbalah with the with the rabbi she is working with it, it can bring her to move away from self-centeredness to move away from the will to receive for oneself alone into a will to receive just in order to give just in order to share and maybe even to please Hashem. Who am I to judge her? And uh, we would do much, much better by uh, by minding our own business, I think, in those areas. But anyway, I've, so see here I am carrying on. Let's go. Let's go to the next thing Rabbi Ashwag tells us. Okay. So he says, continuing to talk about this stage of concealment, he says, therefore, everyone has to go through this transitional phase of the concealment of Hashem's face. And when a person completes this stage, then he or she merits the attainment of revealed providence, in other words, the revelation of God's face. Before he or she merits the revelation of God's face, he says, even though the person, even though we may perceive God's back, even though we can tell things that are coming from him, okay, and we perceive him from his back, it is not possible, he says, 
when we're still in that stage, it is not possible to completely avoid coming into sin. Not only, he says, is this person not able to fulfill all the 613 mitzvot, because the mitzvah of loving God, he says, cannot be induced either through force or coercion. Then he or she cannot, he says, he or she cannot even fulfill all of the other 612 mitzvot, because the person cannot yet experience the fear of sin on a permanent basis. Now, do we understand what he's trying to say here? He's actually trying to say, we can come into the revelation of God's face through the fear of sin, but it's that's not a permanent state. This is why a tzaddik can be, uh, he's not a, a person who is an incomplete tzaddik, is still referred to as a benoni. A benoni means one day he's a tzaddik and the next day is not. One day he is on the level of the revelation of God's face and something happens, some circumstance, who knows what it might be, and the next day he is not. He is still, he operates in and out of the stage of single concealment. From single concealment to the revelation of God's face through the fear of sin. Okay? Uh, Until you attain that final phase, that final stage of the revelation of God's face through the love of Hashem, then it's not permanence is what he's trying to say so so we can't he says you can't experience the fear of sin on a permanent basis and that is illustrated he said that's actually illustrated by the fact that the gematria the numerical value of the word Torah uh, and I hope everyone can actually see that those are Hebrew letters there if you have Hebrew installed on your computer it will come out accordingly if not I'm not sure but anyway, the numerical value of the word Torah, which is Tav, Vav, Resh, He, is 611. So he says, so at this stage of consciousness, we are doing the mitzvot, we are keeping the mitzvot, we are learning Torah, we are learning the teaching from Hashem, we are trying. But at that level, he says, at that stage of consciousness, the person can't even fulfill all the 612 mitzvot properly, because just Torah is just 611 leaving the last two commandments, leaving the fear of sin and the love of Hashem. But in the end, he says, stay in it. In the end, he says, a person will merit the revelation of God's face. And he says, and you know how we know that? And he quotes Psalm 103.19, where it says, He, meaning Hashem, will not always chide. He will not always chastise us. He will not, neither shall he keep his anger forever. Rabbi Ashlag actually interprets that verse to mean, and he doesn't mean that he's going to wipe you out. That's not what it means at all. It doesn't mean that God's going to give up on you. It just means that there will come, there will be a stage, there will come a stage for you where he no longer has to chastise you, where he no longer has to lecture you, where he no longer has to push you, uh, and and where he, his where there's no level of anger with him anymore. And that you know. We need to get away from, to, to me, I think, the, away from this uh, idea that so many people push on us about an angry, uh, ticked-off God. Uh, <laughs> uh, I may bring you something from another great rabbi, Kabbalistic rabbi, uh, the Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero of Sfat, uh, who uh, gives a unbelievably beautiful explanations of all of that. But anyway, but anyway, we don't we don't have time tonight. We we will look at that later. That's a that's a entirely different lesson. Okay. 
Okay, so we have about 30 minutes to go. Let's cover what ground we can cover because we're going to have to jump back and it's good that we cover it right now because uh, Yom Kippur starts starts uh, next Wednesday night at sundown, and uh, we need to. There's a secret contained in it about Yom Kippur. So let me let me get the next one. Hold on. Okay. And I'm not sure. Let me check my slides here. I'm not sure where I'm at. I think I'm. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to here right now. Okay. So Rabbi Ashlag says, the first level of the revelation of God's face is the actual perception of divine providence as operating through cause and effect in complete clarity. And he says, this only comes to a person through the grace of God, through a divine grace whereby the person merits the opening of one's eyes in the Holy Torah in wondrous perception, he says. Then he says, this person becomes like an overflowing spring of water, as Rabbi Meir said. Now, we have to go back and look at exactly what it is that Rabbi Meir said about this. Let's finish this idea. He says, for every mitzvah of the Holy Torah that the person has fulfilled by their work, during the period of free choice, he or she now merits, once their eyes are open in the Torah, to see the reward that will be waiting for them in the world to come. Likewise, though, they also see the great loss, the loss of that reward that was involved in every sin. Now, he makes this reference to Rabbi Meir, talking about this person, even at the, the first level, the first level of the revelation of God's face, meaning just from the fear of sin, uh, and cause and effect, and how cause and effect operates with complete clarity and in a complete, precise way. He says that actually only comes to you as a divine grace, but then he says a person who gets there becomes like an overflowing spring of water, as Rabbi Meir said. So I wanted to go back and look at what he said earlier, what Rabbi Meir said. And this is where we are at. If you're in the book, The Shadow of the Ladder, it's actually in paragraph 6. It's on page 102. And let's review this. because, And the reason we're doing it is simply because Yom Kippur is next week. Okay? Let's see what it says. He says, however, the, talking about the correct way. He says, according to what we have already explained, the correct way to be involved in Torah and mitzvot in the strictest strictest sense, and remember, we talk about this all the time, is with the intention of giving pleasure to one's creator without gaining pleasure through satisfying one's own needs. And we, we applied that even to why we study Torah in the first place. We study it with the intention to please Hashem because it makes Him happy for us to be occupied. It pleases Him greatly for us to be occupied with the words of His Torah. And that that needs to be our motivation. And this is what he is saying. He said, in the strictest sense, the intention of giving pleasure to one's creator without gaining pleasure through satisfying one's own needs. That, by the way, on Yom Kippur, we are to afflict our souls. And the rabbis define that as fasting. And a lot of people, meaning a, a complete food and water fast for 25, 26 hours. And a lot of people don't get that because they don't connect the soul with the physical body at all. Uh, the rabbis explain that just just the denial 
of drinking and eating for one day makes the soul uncomfortable in the body. But Rabbi Ashlag is giving us the deeper secret. This is the real deep secret of actually of Yom Kippur that he's going to talk about here. Okay? Uh, without gaining pleasure through satisfying one's own needs. He says, it is only possible to come to this through great work and huge effort in purifying the body. Now he's talking about what we need to do all the time. Okay? Uh, and But I'm talking about just have this idea in mind just on Yom Kippur. Uh, I mean, that's a good place to start. That's <laughs> what I'm saying, trying to say. The first tactic, he says. What's the first tactic? To accustom oneself not to receive anything at all for one's own pleasure. So how is that the secret of Yom Kippur? Because that's exactly what we do. For 25, 26 hours, we don't receive, we don't receive food. We don't receive water. For one's own pleasure, we don't receive uh, uh, bathing, anything that makes us comfortable in that matter. We don't receive comfortable shoes. Uh, uh, you don't uh, engage in sexual relations. So it not, it's not just the fast. You are fasting from many different things. And they all have to do with things that we receive pleasure from, bodily pleasure from. Even, he says, when dealing with matters that are permitted and necessary for one's bodily needs, such as eating, drinking, sleeping, and other essential requirements. Uh, in such a way, a person dissociates himself or herself from any accompanying pleasure, even when dealing with only what is necessary, and just partakes of them to the minimum de degree for the purpose of keeping body and soul together. And he says, and this, that is literally living a life of suffering. That's what it's about in that level, in that tactic. What he is, the only reason you use this tactic is to get it across to your head. This is the whole point of this and what Rabbi Meir is saying. To get it across to your head and get it in your discipline, the discipline of your life, that not to receive for yourself alone. Not to receive for yourself alone. That's what it's about. But and, and then move that will to receive for oneself alone into a will to receive. Because I'm telling you folks, if we keep Yom Kippur for 365 days in a row, not many of us are going to make it through the first uh, month. We'd be gone. No longer in a body. So this is not what it's talking about. It's talking about we have to have the will to receive in order to exist, in order to exist as a separate entity, in order to exist as a soul and a body. But that will to receive should not be directed for ourself alone. It needs to be directed in order to serve others, in order to share with others, and in order to please Hashem. That's the idea. So listen to what Rabbi Meir says. Uh, oh, by the way, oh no, first let me, first let me read the rest of Rabbi Ashlag here. Because he makes it clear, he says, once a person has already accustomed himself or herself to this, and that person no longer has any more to any more will to receive pleasure for oneself alone within the body, then it becomes possible for him or for her from this time on to practice Torah and fulfill the mitzvot only with the intention of giving pleasure to the Creator. And not at all in order to give pleasure to oneself. When the person is worthy of this, he says, when you come to that place, then he or she merits, <coughs> excuse me, he or she merits to taste 
not a life of suffering, but to taste a happy life, filled with all goodness and pleasure, without any defect of suffering at all. And that happy life becomes manifest through the practice of Torah and mitzvot for its own sake. Remember what that means in order to please Hashem. Now, as Rabbi Meir says, whoever labors in Torah for its own sake. Now remember, Talmud Torah Lishma. Lishma, for its own sake, actually means, Rabbi Ashlag defines it for us, means in order to please Hashem, merits many things. And not only that, but the whole world is indebted to this person. And we're going to find out why. He is called friend, beloved, a lover of God, a lover of the human race. Humility enclothes him. Humility, by the way, is a reference to the, the highest of the ten spherot, the Keter itself. Humility enclothes him, as does reverence. He is fit to be righteous. He is fit to be a tzaddik, pious, a chassid, honest and faithful. It keeps him far from sin and draws him near to purity. Through him, through that kind of a person, the world can benefit from counsel, sound knowledge, understanding and strength, as it is said. Counsel is mine and sound knowledge. Understanding is mine. Strength is mine. From Mishlei 8.14. It gives him sovereignty and governance and discerning judgment. The secrets of the Torah are revealed to him and he becomes like a flowing fountain. This is what brought Rabbi Ashlag back to, to this statement. Like a flowing fountain that never stops, like a river that increases its flow, he is modest, long-suffering, forgiving of insult, and he is magnified by Torah and exalted above all things. And then Rabbi Ashlag says, it is of such a person that scripture, Psalm 34, 9, uh, s- speaks when it says, taste and see that Hashem is good, that God is good. One who tastes the taste of the true practice of Torah and mitzvot for its own sake. Hold on just a minute. I'm, I've lost my... Uh, I want I want to make sure. Let me see. Oh, no. Okay. All right. One who tastes the taste of the true practice of Torah and mitzvot for its own sake merits, it says, and sees for himself or for herself that the intention of creation is only to benefit God's creatures. And he says, because it is in the nature of the good to do good. Such people are happy and joyful, he says, throughout all the years that Hashem grants them, and they find the world a happy place to be in. He is really giving us some, some very intense secrets of the Torah here. Now, Let's see how much time we have. Ah, we have 15 minutes. Let's let's get a, let's get a little farther. You know, anytime we can, uh, <coughs> excuse me, get a little farther in this study is is something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Coming back to where to where we were with with Rabbi Ashlag. Further now, we were we were back in paragraph 83. So we're jumping from paragraph six back to paragraph 83. Just reminding ourselves that he's he's talking about this first level of the revelation of God's face being the the actual perception of divine providence operating through cause and effect. Uh, in that case, the person merits the opening of their eyes in the Holy Torah, and they really begin to perceive things. And this is what Rabbi Meir is talking about. That kind of a person 
it's like an overflowing spring of water and I just wanted to cover the other thing just so that you can know that Yom Kippur is like a, one day of practice that we take on what it means to get our Yetzer Hara, our will to receive for ourselves alone, to get it in line, to actually to actually practice on it. Okay, all right. Then he says, even though a person cannot actually experience the reward, they can see. They, they begin to understand. They, they really have an understanding of what the reward for the mitzvot laid up for them in the world to come, what that actually is. They, they, they cannot actually experience that reward in this, in this lifetime, he says, because the reward of the mitzvot doesn't belong in this world. Nevertheless, he says, their clear perception of the reward of the mitzvot causes them to experience great joy at the time of performing each mitzvah. And this is according to the principle, he says, <laughs> according to the principle that if anyone is certain of collecting money that is owed to them, it is as if they had already collected it. Take, for example, he says, a businessman who has made a very profitable transaction, a good deal. He says he has made a great deal of money. And even though that money will not be paid to him right now, it won't be paid to him until much later or over a long period of time, yet he is sure, he says, without any shadow of a doubt, that that profit will come to him in due course. And when he is sure of that, then he is just as happy as if he already had the money in his hand. So it goes without saying, he says, that such open providence testifies for the person that from now on, they won't go back. They will cleave to the Torah and the mitzvot with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their resources, with everything that they have. Likewise, he or she will distance themselves and run away, he says, from sins as one who flees from a fire. Although this person is not yet a complete tzaddik, remember at that first that first level of the revelation of God's face, it also is transitory. We can have it and lose it. This is why we are still a Benoni. So he says, although the person is not yet a complete tzaddik, because they have not yet merited the transformation through the love of God, nevertheless, their great devotion to Torah and to, and to good deeds, to the mitzvot, in other words, the commandments, helps them very gradually a brick at a time, to come to merit the transformation of loving God, which is a total grace, which is a total gift, and which is the final level of the revelation of God's face. And then, when that happens, he says, the person is able to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. That's the 613. To do them completely, and they become a complete tzaddik. Let's look at our time. Yeah, let's get one more. Let's let's go just just a little bit question uh, or a little bit farther. Because the next thing he, he wants to talk about is he sa is resolving the question. He says we can begin to resolve the question that we had concerning this oath that the soul is required to swear before coming into this world, which was even if the whole world were to say to you that you are a tzaddik, see yourself in your own eyes as a rasha, a one who is still liable to sin. And we ask, he says, why should a person need to regard himself or herself as one who still has the possibility of sinning 
when all the rest of the world, everybody else regards that person as a tzaddik. And he asks the question, can the whole world be wrong? He says, we can also ask, what is the significance of the testimony of the whole world here? Surely a person knows himself or herself better than the whole world does. This being the case, the oath, the oath should say, even if you know for yourself that you are a tzaddik, you still should consider yourself as one who may still sin. But he says in another passage from the Talmud, Rabbah said a person should know in his heart whether he is a complete tzaddik or not. What does that mean, he says? He says that, that is to say that there really is such a reality of knowing for yourself. Okay? And an obligation, meaning... Not only that, not only knowing for yourself, but there really is such a reality of actually becoming a tzaddik who doesn't go back into sin. And not only that, but Rabbi Ashlag says from this, from this one passage in the Talmud, he says it tells us that we, are, we have an obligation of attempting to become a complete tzaddik. And furthermore, he says, a person is, this means a person is required to examine himself or herself in order to know one's truth for oneself this is what's so important to know yourself to know your one's truth for oneself but he says if that's the case also why do they make the soul swear an oath that it will always regard itself as having the characteristic of an evil person and never come to know the truth about itself he says when the sages themselves have explicitly obligated just the opposite now he says, here's, begins, he begins to answer. He says, all of these matters are extremely precise. As long as a man or a woman has not yet merited the opening of his or her eyes in the Torah, in wondrous perception, to the level or to the extent that he or she obtains a clear perception, a clear understanding and perception, being able to see it and feel it, of the divine providence as operating through cause and effect, it is certain that he or she will not be able to deceive themselves and think of themselves as a tzaddik until they've come to that level, a, a, a real level of the fear of sin and a real understanding providence through cause and effect, then we can't deceive ourselves. We can't think of ourselves as a tzaddik. The person, he says, clearly feels that he or she lacks the two most all-inclusive mitzvot of the Torah, namely, love for God and a permanent fear of sin. Without the opening of one's eyes in Torah, the person cannot come to the level of fearing sin completely. <coughs> Excuse me. Of fearing sin completely to the extent that God testifies, that Hashem himself testifies that that person will never again return to their foolish ways. As we, as we have written above, he says, this comes about due to the person's fear of sin being so great and through his or her perception of the consequence and the loss that comes about because of sin, a person cannot conceive of, even conceive of this idea, even conceive of this level, he says, before he or she has attained a perfectly clear and certain perception of divine providence as it operates through cause and effect. This is the first level, he says, of the revelation of God's face, which comes to the person through having one's eyes opened in Torah. 
This is not to speak of loving God, which is completely beyond the person's ability. Isn't this amazing? That is not to even speak of loving God, which is completely beyond a person's ability, since the love of God, remember it's a gift to us, it, it's a level that's a grace. Since the, uh, since the love for God is dependent upon our under, on the understanding within the heart, that is what God gives to us, a level of understanding. No amount of effort, no amount of working, no amount of coercion <laughs> helps here at all, he says. Let's, let's read this final paragraph, and then we, we will be through for this evening. So he says, thus the language of the oath is. What's the language of the oath? Even if the whole world says, you're a tzaddik, you should still see yourself as liable to sin unless you have come to this level that he is talking about. For these two commandments of love for God and fear of sin, they are given only to the man or the woman for themselves. No one else in the world besides that person can in any way discern or know whether these mitzvot are present or whether they are not present. So, if people see someone, he says, properly, correctly practicing 611 mitzvot, Torah, they then automatically assume that they must also have the mitzvot of the love of God and the fear of sin. Since it is natural, he says, for a person to believe what the world says about them, he or she might easily fall into a bitter mistake. They might consider themselves to be a tzaddik when they are not. And for this reason, the soul is made to swear an oath before it comes into incarnation into a body. And hopefully that oath, the soul will remind itself of that. And hopefully that might help the person. However, he says, a person certainly has the obligation to always examine himself or examine herself within their heart to know if he or she is a complete tzaddik or not. That's where we'll stop this evening. Uh, we still have so much to go, and I hope it's being interesting to you, and I hope it's being helpful to you. It's, it's a lot of things to remember, sure, but the only way we remember is by studying them over and over again, and the only way we put them into practice in our life is by changing our way of thinking. Hopefully we have begun to change our way of thinking, uh, to know that everything comes from Hashem, that He is only good and He does only good, that what we perceive as bad uh, is still uh, only meant for our good, no matter what, and that we have a problem in our separation from Him, and that problem is our will to receive for ourselves alone, and everything about our work in the Torah and the keeping of the mitzvot, whether they are the 613 or whether they are the seven, either, either way, uh, has to do with has to do with with transforming our will to receive for ourselves alone, which is what separates us from Him, into a will to receive in order to receive. I think Pat. Uh, I think. Actually, the uh, Ray uh, Noahide Nations has this book for sale. I'm not completely sure, but I think they do. You might check in their store. Okay. Well, Shana Tovah to each and every one of you, and uh, 
I'm so glad you came to the class tonight. Uh, and uh, we'll be together, not next week, because it will be Yom Kippur. May each of those of you fast. May each of you uh, have an easy fast. And uh, we'll be together the next week on, uh, I believe it was the 15th. The 15th of October, because, you know, I have to skip the, the week after that. But anyway, we'll be together. We'll study together. We'll learn more from Rabbi Ashlag and from the Holy Torah. And let us begin to start to pray, you know, to Hashem, to open our eyes in His Torah, so that we may behold the wonders of His Torah, to open our eyes. And uh, Rabbi Ashlag, that also comes with hard work, though. Rabbi Ashlag has a lot to tell us about that later. It will be, be very good. Okay. Shalom, shalom. Uh, Shana Tova, have a good year. May you be written for a good year. Shana Tova, Umetucha, and a sweet year. Uh, and Vechatima, and may you be sealed for a good and a sweet year. Okay? I will see you all, not next week, but in two weeks on the, October the 15th at 8 o'clock. Not 8.30, but at 8 o'clock. Back to the regular time. Okay? Shalom, shalom, everyone. And, uh, thank you so much for being with us. I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye bye.